Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss, but more importantly, it's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Okay, everybody, welcome to the podcast today. I have a wonderful guest who I've been wanting to talk about, about certain things around grief for a while, so I'm glad that she is here. Jenna Paris is a lot of things. She is the host of Mama Said podcast with Jamie Lynn Sigler. She is probably one of the most amazing singers that doesn't do it as a career that I know. And I see her sing online all the time. And that's a gift. And we're going to talk about that. And she's raising two kids and just kind of doing life beautifully after going through some really hard things. So she and I met about four years ago and we talked about grief. And the reason I really wanted Jenna on today is She's like a different person than she was four years ago. And I want her to share the story of losing her father when she was a kid and then talk about kind of what the repercussions of that look like as an adult and then how you've gotten to where you are today, which I think is a more peaceful place. So welcome, Jenna. Hi, thank you. So can we just start by talking about just your experience of losing your dad and what that felt like as a kid? That would be great. Yes. I lost my dad when I was young, when I was 10 years old. And while I want to say that I can remember so much of my life with him, I really don't, which makes me sad. He was, when I think of when he was sick, he had brain cancer and that's what he died from. I thought it was a two, three year process when he was sick. And later on in the years, I found out that it was quick. And in my young mind, I didn't process that accurately, I guess. So I grew up thinking he was sick for a really, really long time. I guess time was going very slowly because I was so young. And so he got sick. They didn't know what was wrong with him. They misdiagnosed him and he ultimately died after surgeries of brain cancer. And I think, you know, Back then, many, many years ago, I'm 40 now. (laughs) Back in the 1800s. Um, Back in the 1800s, they didn't have grief support or or they did, but it wasn't anything like it was now. They were just starting out with opening grief support centers. Like I know the grief support center that I've been involved with, Our House Grief Support, I believe opened its doors the year my dad died. So I didn't have any of that. I don't remember... 
I don't remember going through therapy. I don't remember talking to anyone on a regular basis. And it was really hard for me. You know how when you're younger, you think of, there's like different images in your mind, like almost like you're looking at a picture uh, because I can't piece many things together when I was so young. And I, you know, I have a memory of my uncle throwing dirt on his grave. I have a memory of us getting lip gloss right before his funeral. We did a pit stop. I have a memory of seeing the casket, but I don't remember anything in a movie form, just in these like weird pictures. And I think, you know, it was really, in hindsight, it was really difficult for me. Am I allowed to cuss on here? Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know how we can, if we, when we talked about that earlier, anyway. I was like, this is going to have to be an explicit podcast. Yeah. Exactly. You can't, it is the best place to use the word fuck is on yeah. that grief podcast. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I was fucked up mm-hmm. and I, and I didn't really know it. And by fucked up, I don't mean that I turned to drugs or alcohol to numb my pain. I never did any of that. I just, and I, I am a talker. I spoke about it even when I was young. I just don't think I got the proper grief support and it's not anyone's fault. I I think it was so long ago that no one knew that, that that was even a possibility. So when the years went by, I just was always constantly sad about my dad. I thought about like the, what if he was alive? My parents were divorced. So I was like, I wish I could run to my dad when I was in an argument with my mom, even though I have a wonderful stepdad, it just wasn't the same. And I was constantly in a state of sadness. Yeah. Missing my dad. Yeah. It's interesting because when I met you and we first talked about your dad dying, the way you presented was as if it had just happened maybe Mm -hmm. a year ago, but it had been maybe 25 years. Yeah. Yeah, And I think It's interesting with grief work. And if you have kids, Addison was nine when Nate died. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the difference in how we look at grief now from when you experienced it is so diametrically different because now we talk, we, we literally talk about it all the time. And as I, we sit here and we do a podcast about grief, that means somebody's listening to it whose daughter is 10, who lost a father and they are having resources because you know, I think people think it's, it's therapy, which I don't really know at nine or 10, if a kid can even process it, but it's the way the parent that's surviving has resources and tools to shepherd you along as you mature. So at nine or 10, you might not have a clue what happened. You don't know. You're kind of, you don't even know what death is. You're like, why is he going in the ground? The whole thing is so big because you're still in that age of magical thinking where like Santa might be true. Well, you're Jewish, but I love Santa still. Don't worry. Or the tooth fairy. You're still in this magical place where you think possibly, you know, Disney's really cool and these things are real to you. And so when kids lose a parent right at that critical spot where they're almost teenagers, but they're still kind of little, it's a lot harder almost than even if you're six or if you're 15, I think, because you don't have... The, the foundation or any of the scaffolding built around your beliefs. So tell me a little bit about what, what made, when you say you stayed sad, was that because you didn't feel like it was talked about enough that you, you didn't understand it? You were angry. What was it that, fi- that felt like maybe you got stuck at a certain grieving point until recently? You know, I, I just think it was, it felt unfair. Mm. I am not the type of person that goes around thinking that everything happens for a reason. Okay. 
Sometimes I think that, but with death and losing a parent, I, I truly, that's, that's not my belief. Me personally, I don't think that there was a reason why I lost my dad. I think it sucks and it's unfair. And I feel like it's okay to feel that way. hundred percent. And so I always felt like I was really just, I was bummed out. I was bummed out that I, that I lost a dad that was also, you know, this is a kind of like a different part of it, but I believe, and I know, and from what I've been told that I was very similar to my dad and I'm not at all like my mother. Mm. So I didn't have that ally growing up. My mom didn't understand me. Like we were, we are polar opposites to this day. I mean, it's the reason why we fight so much. We are complete opposites. So I always, you know, was bummed out that I didn't have a parent who understood me and knew why I wanted to always go out and knew why I talked to strangers and wanted to make friends. And, and no, you know, my mom didn't think it was weird that, you know, it just, I was bummed out and I thought it was unfair and I thought it sucked. Yeah. I, I think that's how my daughter feels. I think she was much closer to her dad than to me. I think she thinks I'm loud, obnoxious, overbearing, searching for... That's why I love you. (laughs) And I think she was much more like Nate, a thinker, an experiencer, Mm. doesn't need a lot of validation from people, goes to the beat of her own drum. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, doesn't want to make her bed in the morning. Doesn't ring true for me. I think it's a character flaw. And I think when you lose the person, whereas my son is more like me. So life is easy for us because we mirror each other. But for her, she lost the person that got her. Yeah, that she connects with more. Yeah, that she could say like, you get me, buddy. Because I'm like, I don't get you. Yeah, exactly. So so as time went on, so he, he died of cancer, which we've had many conversations about. At what point did you start to say like, shit, I don't want to get cancer? Was it once you had kids? When did the fear, because we both have, yeah, we both have health anxiety, or we used to, because I do think we're in a different place of acceptance of some sense. Yeah. I will make this very clear. I still have major health anxiety, but... And it's I'll better. get into this after, but it's, but it's getting better. At what age, gosh, I think around middle school. Okay. When I think when maybe when I started going through puberty, right. I, I can't pinpoint exactly when, but I do not, I'm trying to remember right now as I speak, if when I was in first, you know, uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, did I, did I worry about anything or health wise? Uh, I think it was in middle school when things started getting yeah. hormonal and I was learning about breasts and I was learning about health and I was learning about sex and I was learning about diseases. That's when things started to trigger me. When I realized that you could die from many things, I said, oh shit, you know, I'm learning about science, I'm learning about things that are hereditary. I'm learning about genetics. Oh. I'm like, well, fuck, like right. is brain cancer going to get me? Is it going to get my sister? What other cancers are in my family? And, you know, when I was younger, when I was in middle school, I started to, to spiral about little health things. I know like if I saw a dot on my hand, I would spiral. If I, if I lost a strand of hair, I was like, am I going to lose 40 more? Is something wrong with me? Anything, anything yeah. I remember. And, and this is, you know, it's, it's sad looking back and also kind of strange, but when I learned what AIDS was, I 
immediately thought that I was going to get AIDS. And this is when I was not sexually active. I mean, I it still was- think about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrified. No, I, it makes sense though. It did, you know, it was so scary to me to die. It wasn't the disease itself. It was more of dying from it. I know that diseases are curable and that's, an, that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm trying to get to a place with my therapist. But again, like we can get to that later, but but I think when I was in middle school is when it started to get really bad. I think too, and I I had very similar experiences and I grew up in sort of a Christian science, not, I mean, that's the wrong thing. My family would yell at me for saying that, but we were very pro, we can heal ourselves. Doctors, you know, you go to the hospital to die. Yeah. That was kind of the message in our family. So after Nate died, I I had a different fear, but it was obsessive, which is I can't leave my kids too. So mm. now I, every single thing that happens, like we can't afford to have me go also, which is ironic because I was brought into lives of many people who lost two parents that are exceptional human beings, literally over and over again, yeah. proven that we are resilient human beings and we can, we can yes. deal with much more. And if I, and so the message was continually to me, if you do die, which the chances are very low, but yeah. if you do, they'll be okay too, because they just will be. And little by little, that belief has overrode the deep fear. That's amazing. You had, you know, PTSD from, from you were, you know, away out of mm-hmm. town when Nate died. So weren't you? Um, oh yeah, I was in Jamaica yeah. with Toby. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, going away may trigger you in general. And then it just... Oh, it still triggers me. Yeah. So... So when you're, so tell me what, and I want to go back to the health thing, but I am, what did your mom do that was really helpful? And what did she do that if you could say was not helpful around grief? Because I think there's a lot of people and I get a lot of emails or texts or DMs about what do I do for my kids? And I, I feel like I had so much support because I came from a family that was sort of built it had built in all these resources like meditation and dispensa and faith and, and a sense that we just, we write our own stories and the mm-hmm. words we choose. So I had a lot of people coming at me, including Nate's parents that were like, the best thing you can do is to crush life. That's how we honor him. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what he would want. And so the message was really clear for me. And I passed it on to the kids. They weren't sold on it as much. They were right. more like you. They're like, that's all well and good, but your dad didn't die in front of you. And exactly. I was like, great point. And recently they've actually said, mom, stop trying to make your story, our story, because we saw him die. You were in Jamaica on a boat. And I'm like, my apologies. Cause I have done that differently. So go ahead. Yeah. And I would say grief is different for everyone. My older, my sister was, she was 12 and it's, she has a different story than me. So was Jack. Jack was 12. Interesting. Oh, yeah. So here's the thing. It's hard for me to know exactly and remember what my mom did and what she didn't. What I do know is that she was scared too. Yeah. And she was remarried. My dad was, was remarried. I think my mom seeing her two daughters lose a parent was something that just took her from a 10 to a zero (laughs) and in the emotional department. And I think, and I don't know, I think she kind of, she was very much there for us, caught, you know, was there physically if we needed her. I don't think she had the bandwidth to take the extra steps to say, I need to get them extra help right now because in 10 years, 
they're going to be screwed or in 20 years or when they're a mom one day, either she didn't know or she was too anxious in her own right to uh, think about that. I wish I had extra help. My entire family was surrounding us. I, you know, I, I had my aunts and my uncles and everyone around from what I can remember, but I don't remember feeling like nurtured from any, like from an outside. I don't remember getting help from a therapist or, or anything like that. And, and I'm, yeah. I think what you, and actually my son made a great point. He said, thank you so much for taking me to this woman. I don't even remember. I think her name was Gretchen. He's like, she listened to me. Mm -hmm. She's the only woman in the whole family that listened to me and could hold my grief of my dad because she didn't know him. The thing about grief is that when your family is supporting you, they all had a unique relationship with the person who's gone also. So everyone brings their baggage to the support. So they are actually mirroring what they're feeling or what they think they would want if they were you. And what therapy does for kids is it gives someone that you're actually paying a very clear directive, which you just sit here and hold space for this person and you just acknowledge it and let them work it out. So Jack went for every week for a year from the time he was 12 to about 13 and a half. And he said he remembered the day he was done. And he said, I might need to come back. He was in like sixth or seventh grade at this point. I might need to come back, but I've said everything I needed to say. And you listened. And she did. And she, she had lost her dad. And so she just sat there and kind of held his stuff. So I, I don't think it's as complicated as maybe people think you just, and what you just said was, I just needed somebody that wasn't involved to listen to me. And, and, you know, I, grief support is incredible because at different ages, they help you differently. So for a 10 year old, it might be just sitting in a room and having them draw pictures. I don't know, but yes, I think that I was lacking that. And I do think that (laughs) lacking of certain support contributed to my spiraling into my health craziness. Right. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So let's talk about that because you and I, so 20 years goes by. For me, it was a couple years after Nate died. COVID had hit and I just, my body just shut down. All of a sudden I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like Mm -hmm. I lost a husband. I'm trapped here with two middle schoolers and I could feel my body tightening up and I got a diagnosis I didn't want. It turned out to be a gift because I, I exactly what you just said, what I am moving towards is, oh my God everything's, most things are curable, right? Some things are not, but we can't control if they are or aren't, but we can, we can hang our hat on man. Science and medicine is exceptional. Most people live a wonderful, good life. We got a dose of the, the, the very few who didn't, but I'll tell you, your dad and my husband were exceptional people. And I know we have different 
perceptions about it, but they did live a good life until they didn't. Right. Exactly. They had a lot of love and a lot of beauty in them and we got screwed, but they're okay. Right. Exactly. I believe that. Yeah. That I do believe, you know, it's funny COVID. So my therapist is always like, you're an anomaly. Like you have, you have health anxiety, but it is one thing and one thing only, and that's cancer. Mm. Anything that I see, whether it's like, I told you like a hair piece of hair falling or a dot straight to death, cancer death, straight to this is because there are so many cancers out there. (laughs) I'm like, this is a certain type of cancer. And then I will die. Of course. Uh, That's the only way. That's where I go to. It's just, you're, you're, you see a mole and that's it. It's good night, sweetheart. Call the, call the crematory. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So my health anxiety manifested over the years into just cancer. Okay. And I am so filled up and I have no more room for other anxieties except for cancer anxiety that when COVID hit, I didn't give a shit. I might, my therapist was like, you're not afraid of COVID. I was like, no, I have no room to be afraid of COVID. I'm going to die of cancer. I I already told you. Yeah. I was like, I don't think I'm going to die from COVID. I might get really sick, but like, I'll be okay. Like, and she's like, this is crazy. She was like, that is crazy. Like, I, I, I just don't like, you must be so worried about cancer all the time that you just have no more room. You, you don't have any other space in your poor head or heart to think about anything else. So what, so how does she coach you and how do you empty that a little bit? I mean, where is the, where do you make the switch to, okay, this happened to my dad, but that was my dad. I'm not my dad. I have parts of my dad in me, but there's people that, you know, there's, there's people that have nothing in common that both get cancer that they're not related. So how do you kind of take that bucket of fear and little by little move into a place of this did happen, but the chances are very low. Right. So the first thing I did a few years ago was start doing therapy every other week, religiously game changer. I do it every week. Back in the day, it was too expensive, but I love kids. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not kids, whatever. So I've been doing for a couple of years or maybe five. I don't, I don't know who knows about timing these days. I have no idea what the fuck day it is, but, um, every other week I try to do therapy. That is number one. Like the, the thing that helped me or is helping me heal in general, like, you know, it's on the calendar and I do it and I, and I never want to do it. And then I do it. And then I feel like, you know, a, a power like has surged over my body after therapy. Well, you get clarity. So, you go, Oh I my God. Clarity. Yeah. I get clarity. So that's number one. Number two, something she always reminds me. And that you mentioned this too, is that everything is out of our control. So you can't just sit there and say, I know I'm going to get cancer. I, oh my God, like I, I'm superstitious and I just did this and it's going to lead to this. She was like, you don't know anything. My therapist is a breast cancer survivor 40 years ago. And that also helps me to uh, talk. I, to there's and nothing I love more than seeing someone walking around that was diagnosed 20 years ago. Right. Exactly. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. So, so just talking to her hearing her experience and, and her, and her telling me that things are out of our control. That really has helped me over the years. And I, it's like my mantra. I I have it in my notes, in my phone. I say, everything is out of your control. You know, know that you are healthy, you are happy and you are okay to go about your day. I love it. Um, And that's my mantra. And I read it every time I felt like the surge of anxiety coming on, I would open my phone and read it. And yeah. 
and, and you can start to see. Yeah. And I think what you start with, with a mantra or anything like that, when you get quiet and just kind of let that wave pass over you. And when you, I think for a, maybe a long time, you didn't have any space from it. It was you, the thought was Jenna. It yeah. was like, this is, and then all of a sudden you go, there's that, when you have that first moment where you go, there's that thought again, yeah. there's that hot feeling, there's my heart racing. And you are able to recognize, oh, this is my body doing what it's always done. Yep. And this is a, this is just a habitual pattern that I've, I've, I've run this road so many times in my life. This, this anxiety, this mine is before trips, which because, uh-huh. but, but it's like Nate wouldn't have lived if I hadn't gone on the trip. That right. heart attack was coming. Yeah. But for yeah. a long time, I thought, well, as long as I stay home, nobody will die. Well, I left and he died because he knows I would have been like, get back here now, yeah. <laughs> you know, but we can't control it. And there, there has been for me, great relief in going like, I'm not in charge here. Mm-hmm. So I can put down my, my shields and my weapons and my fear, and I can just live because it's going to happen either way. And I, what, what maybe you do too, is you find some practices and you eat well and you take care of yourself and you go to counseling. And at some point you go, you know what, God, that's enough. I, that's the best I can do. Yeah. And the rest, I'm going to put my hands up in the air and be like, I'll, you yeah. seem to, you seem to be running I mean, this thing well. I'm not there yet. I'm not, I didn't put closer. my there. You're I, closer. I think maybe when I'm like 85, I'll be, I'll be like, woo, now's my time to party. I'm not worried anymore. But, but no, I mean, it's also funny. I, I want to mention, so I have two kids, six and four. Yes. And while I am, of course, worried about them and they're my life. So I, you know, I, I think when, they were born. It really helped me worry less about myself. I worried about them, but I didn't worry more about them and less about me. It kind of just started to like balance my anxiety. Like I didn't have as much time to think about myself. I was too busy with my kids and worrying about them and dealing with them and their schedule. So being busy with my children obviously helped me a lot. It's interesting. You always have, you have like a finite worry bucket of either cancer or yourself. And when it gets filled with other things, it doesn't grow bigger. It stays. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, and you know, another thing is I, so I am terrified of doctor's appointments, whether it's my general doctor's appointment because I'm terrified of results Me too. because I'm terrified those results will lead to cancer and death. It's just, it's there. It's just a straight line. It's, it's just as simple as that. It's called the Uh, white coat syndrome. I have, have, and we have like, they have yeah, to take daughter, the blood pressure after the blood pressure. My, my daughter has it too. Every time we do a COVID test and she was like, why is my heart racing? And I was like, wait a second, is this genetic? Because my grandmother had it. Oh, my, really? That's why we didn't go to the doctor because the anxiety of going was so big. But yeah. on that note, I'll just say that my best friends, her father's a doctor and she has the opposite experience. She's like, if I can just get to the doctor, they'll fix it. So oh my I gosh. Have, I envy those well, people. And I've actually started to go, well, that's just a different mindset. Like she, her son got in a snowboarding accident. He was totally knocked out. Like, I'm like, I would be like dead concussion. It's over. And she's like, I just knew once I got to UCLA, they would take care of it. So she said, my anxiety was the drive, not getting yeah. there. Right. And I thought, man, I'm going to start to be like her, which is right. I can, help is on the way. Help is on the way when I get to the doctor. Hashtag help is on the way. Yeah, exactly. So I, thought, I I love that you feel that way too. And we are so afraid of the results, but now I've been through enough that I'm mm-hmm. like, oh wait, these people are angels. They they can help us. We're healthy. Yeah. I mean, with that said, I still go 
to every yearly doctor appointment. I still go to every yearly OBGYN. I still go to every yearly mammogram appointment. And if I, you know, and it's terrifying for me, especially my mammograms, because I have a lot of breast cancer and ovarian in my family. So I've realized, and I was talking to my therapist about this in the last session, I said, you know, the Jenna last year would feel a pain in her breast and freak the fuck out and like not call right away, but knew she had to call because you don't want to not call him. But like, I don't want to call him. But a few months ago, I, I felt something and I made that appointment faster than I did before. And I went in by myself and I, you know, she said, there's nothing there, but I do see something here, but we'll watch it and you'll come back. And I said to her, I said, can I leave this office and have a good day and go get a glass of wine and not worry that I'm going to get cancer? And she goes, you can, you're, you're able to, and, and you can go and you're okay. And I said, thank you very much. And I left and I didn't think anything of it. And I was like, I don't know what just happened to me, but like, I'm proud of myself. I j- she's even saw something and she's not worried about it, but I know that I have to go back and check on it and I'm not spiraling. That's amazing. And and I know this sounds really strange to other people that would, that don't understand us, Mm -hmm. but that was such a big deal to me. Watch like when I go back next month, there better not be. You know what though? Here's the thing. If you go back, what, what is true, at least I know from those experiences is if you find things early, they're not joking. Yeah. Just it's it's taken care of. It's just like getting a mole removed. I mean, these things are not, our bodies are brilliant at cleaning things out. If you just don't, if you don't catch it till six, seven years, or you don't know there it's, but it's miraculous. I know. It's it's miraculous what they can do. I think that's a huge, I think I also, that feeling of relief you felt where you go like, I actually changed something in my life. I I actually always thought I would be this way. I never thought I could give it up. It was a belief I had strongly but I just found a little space from it. Yeah. And I left going, yeah, well, their job is to look for something in my boob. Yeah. So they're going to say, hey, I see something we're going to watch. That's actually what they're paid to do every day is right. find things they're going to watch. So yes. that doesn't mean it's bad. It just said they're doing their job. They're going to watch it. Exactly. Something. And and I left and I was, <laughs> I was proud of myself. You should be. And, and it's, I think over the last year, I've made the most significant changes I think that I am, I reached a point in my life where I'm like so fucking sick of feeling anxious all the time. And I think there was a switch. Now, again, I'm not okay now. I don't, every, you know, I don't wake up every day saying I'm going to die. I never had that type of anxiety. Me neither. Never did. I never, I never went about my day with my heart racing. It was, if I saw something, if I found something, I would worry about that. I don't, I'm not an anxious person. In fact, my therapy is going out. If I'm, if I'm worried about something, let's say I, in my breast or there was a pain for me going out with my girlfriends, uh, getting out of the moment, taking myself out is my, my, the best medicine for me. You know, a lot of my friends, and this is really interesting. A lot of my friends who are on medication for their anxiety or their depression always say, well, why don't you just get on medication. And I've, you know, I've gotten into it with some of my friends being like, 
thank you. Like that's, that's, I've been in therapy for over 25 years. I medicine to me is a a gift, a gift. Uh, I would go on an antidepressant, anti-anxiety medicine at any second. I think it has changed people's lives. I personally know what my anxiety is and how to, and, and when I am suffering, I call my therapist and it greatly helps me. And in the last few years, I can, it's almost like I could see myself. Like I, I, there's like two Jenna's when I'm like going into like a spiral or a panic, I can see Jenna sitting here and then I can like remove myself and be like, Jenna, you, I'm watching you freak out. You, I know what you need. I know what you need to do. You need to step out of this. You need to get out of the house. You need to go be with friends. And I could kind of like hone it in and it helps me. And so I just, you know, one day if I need medication, I'll go on it. Well, I think we have the exact same disorder, which is just yeah. crazy. I just call it just crazy because crazy disorder. the thing is we walk around with, we can't, we just, ours is, a, ours is cued by something. We yes. don't have underlying anxiety. Mine is when I see a cut on my hand and I go, that doesn't look like a cut. And everyone's like, but you just, I'm like, well, I don't remember getting the cut. Exactly. So we, you and I, you and I very are similar. We're not well, but we're getting better. Exactly. No. And I think for me, I, I look at other people and it does help me because most of my friends are really fun yeah. and they're really easy and they literally don't give a shit about much. And I am drawn to those people because they don't even blink about stuff. So I realize mine is in my head. And I do think for both of us, it's just changing the pattern. So what you do when you're talking to the floating Jenna, you actually are changing the pattern because again, you're giving space. So we don't have, we have like one more minute, but if you could tell your nine-year-old self Mm -hmm. anything, what would you tell her? And what did you love most about your dad? Um, I would tell my nine-year-old self that it's going to be okay. You're going to live a beautiful life without your dad. Mm -hmm. He is proud of you. You will take on so much of him and, and carry it on and continue, whether it's music or your attitude in life, your half glass full except for, you know, what, what cuts, is it? Cuts on our hand. Um, and, and, and that, that you, you will carry on his legacy and you will live a very full life. That's what I would tell my nine-year-old self. Amen. What did I love most about my dad? His, his talent, his guitar playing, his musical ability, his kind of hippie vibe. He was always shirtless. He was cool. He was fun. And he I remember specifically, he would always on the weekends when we, when he had us, he would, you know, hold us, hold me and just kiss my head all over. He was touchy. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. What we'll do is in two years, we'll do another podcast yes. because we seem to be on the right trajectory. I think you're doing exceptional. I, I've, I have to say the change I see in you and the change I see in me over when we met four years ago is something we should be really proud of because we've been through scary things and we're, we're fighting for joy and peace and the ability to go to the doctor without being a lunatic. Exactly. I think we deserve it and we know it and you're incredible. And thank you for having me. Thank you. Love you. Love you too. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep going. It gets better. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.